Hey friends, welcome back to another Seed Talk with Lisa and Lane. Thank you all so much for dropping in. And um, hi, Lane. Hi, hello, everybody. And I am super excited to talk cool flowers. I mean, cool, I mean, cool flowers is like six months out of the year for me. And I just love talking about it. And Lane has a great um, show laid out for us. So tell us, Lane, what we're talking about today. Yes. So today's episode is going to make a lot of people happy because we got a lot of requests for this. We are going to be talking about one and done cool flowers. So we will define that in just a minute, but we're going to go through a list of all these different plants that we consider one and done for various reasons. And we're going to let you know why they're one and done and why they might not be one and done for some people. So should we get started? Well, before we jump into that, I just want to also add that we so appreciate everybody joining us and what you can do to help us the most is to subscribe and share this with a friend and drop a review, friends. It only has to be a couple of words because the more reviews we get, the more people that get to see our podcast. So Lane and I would just love to spread the word and we just have such a great season ahead of us talking about seeds that We appreciate that. And of course, this podcast is the sister podcast to The Field and Garden, both produced by thegardenersworkshop.com, where you can just learn more about our work over there. Take it away, Lane. All right. And as usual, you can also join us over on the Gardener's Workshop YouTube channel if you'd like, but you will enjoy it just as much if you're listening in a podcast app. So the first question, what I wanted to start with is kind of defining the opposite of a one and done flower. So Lisa, what do we mean when we say a cut and come again flower? So a cut and come again means a plant has the potential to branch and produce additional stems after you cut the first one. All right. So it's a strong repeat bloomer. Correct. All right. So now let's define the topic of today, which is what are we considering a one and done cool flower, because there are a couple of different scenarios that might qualify it as a one and done. Sure. So I think the most commonly um, known or recognized are those few flowers that literally just grow one single stem. Stock would be a great example of that. I mean, they grow one stem with one big honking flower. And when you cut it, it's over. You're done with that. Then there are flowers, let's just say like Bells of Ireland, that does in fact have the ability to branch and produce additional stems. But in our hot and humid conditions, which come on fairly early in summer, um, they take them out. They don't ever go on to do that. So we count them as one and done. Yep. And in some cases, these are plants that may eventually get another flush of blooms, but that second flush tends to be so much weaker or shorter that you're really better off planting successions rather than waiting for them to rebloom on their own. Right. Okay. So a common question about one and done flowers is why would anyone want to plant a one and done flower? Why would they plant a one and done versus something that's going to give them multiple rounds of blooms? So why are one and done flowers worth the time and the bed space? Sure. So we're, you know, we're talking about grow and cut flowers, right? I mean, 
it's not a cool flower, but think of how important sunflowers are. They're, they're the same way. And so the one and done flowers are such important contributors to our flower farm. And if you are a flower enthusiast that just does great bouquets all the time, whether it's for your church or for your girlfriends or for just to give away, they're major players in the one and done. I mean, I think of Bupleurum um, and even Feverfew, which Feverfew brings a bunch of branches on, but they all bloom at one time. So they're like one and done. So they, I understand why people might think that they might not be worth it, but they bring a lot of collateral to making a bouquet. They're just very significant for us anyway. Yeah. And I noticed as I was making this presentation, so many of my very, very favorite flowers of spring are actually in this group of one and done cool flowers. So, and it's not always a bad thing either to get one flush of something and then you pull it out and you move on to the next thing and just embrace the seasonality of flowers. It's not always exactly. a bad thing. Exactly. That is such a good point, Lane, because, you know, I think sometimes we focus way too long on trying to extend something beyond its natural habit yeah. when it's just time to embrace the next thing that's coming along. Right. Yeah. So that's a great one. Exactly. Okay. Can certain one and done cool flowers actually be repeat bloomers if you live in a cooler summer climate than we have here in southeastern Virginia? That is such a great point. So yes, for sure. Um, I think of Bupleurum and Bells of Ireland. If you live in the northern region of the United States, for instance, like maybe New England, you know, where their hydrangea mop heads bloom out in full sun all summer long, where they would have melted down here where we are. So you really need to kind of take a look at your own environment. But what I recommend to people is you just have to grow them and figure out. That's why I don't I don't talk about what the one and dones are specifically for me, because people think it's a blanket answer and that nothing could be further from the truth. People that have cool summers with low humidity may be able to grow some of these one and dones with amazing branching throughout the summer. So this is something that you need to discover which are one and done for your growing conditions. Um, and, you know, that's just something you just hands on have to figure out. Yeah, it's just something you have to experiment with for yourself. But this is going to give you a good idea of what yes. we consider one and done, why we consider them one and done. And that might point you in the right direction for your own experiments as to what is one and done versus cut and come again for you. So we are going to be covering nine plants today. And for each plant, I'm going to ask the same four questions. So I'm going to ask what makes this a one and done plant? So just trying to get at, is it truly a single stem non-branching plant? Or is there some other reason we're considering it one and done? Why is it worth growing? How many stems does each plant produce? And please keep in mind that these are just the numbers of stems Lisa has experienced. And this can vary based on growing conditions, the grower's experience, the variety, whether a plant was pinched or not. We're just trying to give a general idea of the number of stems to expect for someone who may not have grown these plants before. And then we're going to talk about successions. So we're going to see if Lisa plants successions out on the farm and how many and how far apart does she plant those successions? So are you ready to go through the flowers? I am, but I want to say something first. Oh. I absolutely love 
the backdrop on this PowerPoint. Oh, I bet you do. You know, I mean, if anybody's known me more than a second, you kind of know that I am so fickled over what flowers I love the most. But I will say that the single fever few is one of my all time favorites. And this is just such a beautiful image. That single um, fever few is just gorgeous. Oh, yes. And we'll see it again on the fever few slide because I know that's your favorite. So I wanted to give you a little present. Oh, thank you, May. <laughs> I just love it. <laughs> okay. So let's move on to the very first a beautiful, extremely popular filler, Bells of Ireland. What makes this a one and done plant? So for us, for Bells of Ireland, we fall planted. It survives our winter low temperatures here. And um, by fall planting, that allows us to get a long enough stem to harvest. The problem with Bells of Ireland when we grow them outdoors in the field and particularly on a rainy year, a rainy year grows great tall stems, but it also brings disease onto the platform and they get uh, several different types of diseases or they potentially can. No, there's not anything that I, well, we don't treat stuff. We just extinguish the crop if it happens. Um, but we, as our heat and humidity starts to warm up, it really brings disease um, into the picture. And so we know we fall plant. And as soon as our bells of Ireland get big enough that they are useful in bouquet work or for commercial customers, we clean cut the beds typically. Um, and we do not strip the leaves. We sell them as branching stems. Okay. And I should also mention Bells of Ireland. It's winter hardy to USDA zone seven. All right. So why are Bells of Ireland worth growing? Oh my goodness. <laughs> um, if my sister was here, she would tell you there's never enough Bells of Ireland for bouquet building, because as I mentioned, we leave several, they hydrate really, really well, even with some side stems left on them. And to use that Veg that foliage of the, the whole plant to build a bouquet in spring out of. Oh my goodness. It's just such a great beauty. And not to mention everybody loves bells. So oh, you can yes. use it in any way. Um, but it is a great um, bouquet builder. We try, I mean, we just so hope every year that it doesn't rain too much, that we don't get disease problems so we can stretch the bells out as long as possible. Um, but the minute I see a spot anywhere, I start cutting and harvesting while we can. And for anyone that doesn't know what a Bells of Ireland looks like, if you're not watching on YouTube, you really should look it up. They are just beautiful. And the actual bell is actually made up of sepals, which are collectively known as the calices. And I have found leaving them up in the garden. If you're not going to be cutting them, those flowers tend to last for quite a long time yes. and they just look absolutely beautiful. So let's talk about the number of stems. Give us an idea of how many stems each plant produces. Sure. And so everybody needs to know that, of course, the skill of the grower and the gardener really reflects oh, yes. in this. Um, and we do not pinch bells of Ireland at all. I would guess that there is probably, in addition to the central stem, there is probably four to eight side stems. Yeah. Perfect. And do you plant successions of Bells of Ireland, which I believe the answer to that is no. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. We fall plant. Um, 
we have found, um, and I have read articles by other growers, when you fall plant um, a six, a, a particular flower, particularly sowing outdoors in the garden, there doesn't seem to be any difference in the time that they bloom the following spring. Those later sown typically are just usually either shorter or not as robust because they didn't have quite the length of time. So no, we do not succession. Um, we would not get enough length of stem planted in very early spring. For someone in a cooler climate, do you think they might have success if they experimented with some succession planting of bells? Yes. And I think people that do have those cooler, low humidity springs and summers can very early spring plant them. You know, that's yep. again, this is kind of in the southern region. Yeah. Because a lot of times we have the advantage of being able to fall plant, but sometimes that advantage isn't as necessary if you do live somewhere where the cool spring weather lasts longer and the summers are milder. Right. Okay. Exactly. All right. So let's move on to the next. Ooh. So next we're going to be talking about another filler that I don't think you can ever have too much of, and yeah. that is going to be bupleurum. So yes. what makes this a one and done plant? So it's kind of the same, um, it's in the same boat with Bells of Ireland. It does have, um, especially the fall planted, our fall planted Bupleurum. Bupleurum, I believe if I'm right, is winter hardy to zone five. I mean, it is, it's pretty heavy duty stuff. And our fall planted Bupleurum will grow over 48 inches tall. And it typically will have some side shoots. Some of them may be long enough. Not often, though, not long enough for real commercial work or long, tall enough to be in a bouquet. Um, but it is just such an incredibly useful. Um, I could sell an acre of Bupleurum anytime. It's just it's such a useful filler in the commercial world. And we know why, because it makes every bouquet beautiful. All right. So, yes, and it is winter hardy to USDA zone five, like you said. So why is Bupleurum worth growing? And I also wanted to add in that if you listen to our episode nine about dried flowers, you would mm. also know that both Lisa and Ellen love Bupleurum dried as well as fresh. So why is Bupleurum worth growing? So Bupleurum, particularly if you're a flower farmer, Bupleurum does not ship very well because it's so delicate and dainty. So that gives you a real in for the local market. And it's so in demand because of its tiny little flowers, its beautiful foliage. Um, it is just, it is, it goes with everything. It's just a perfect filler, which there's just never enough filler for any bouquet. Yep. Not beautiful yeah. filler. Yes. Yes. And you've kind of already touched on this, but how many stems would you say each plant produces? Um, for us fall planted, I would say in addition to the central stem, maybe four to six are, we do succession planted. Um, and those stems rarely, it's just one central stem. There's nothing on the side that's worthy of cutting. Okay. So speaking of successions, so you mm. do plant successions. How many successions do you do and how far apart do you space them? Um, we literally planted Bupleurum every week. Um, we plant in the fall, direct seeding, and then starting in January, you know, the early January, we would start starting Bupleurum indoors and in sell trays. 
about once a week. I mean, again, because that's just one stem per plant when you plant it at that time of the year, it's a one and done. So it's just like kind of like your sunflower successions that you plant. And because it was so very useful, as long as we could keep up with the seed starting and then getting it planted, we would aim to do it once a week for as long as we thought the conditions were going to hold out to actually grow them. Yeah. So again, that's something to experiment with. Yes. And if you were comparing directly, someone in a cooler climate could probably get more successions out of it than you might on your farm, Lisa. Yes. Okay, perfect. Now let's move on to the next. Ooh, okay. Uh, Isn't that just beautiful? All right. So the next one is going to be Chinese forget-me-nots, also known as cineglossum. And these have these beautiful, teeny, tiny, dainty little flowers. They're so delicate and so airy. So what makes Chinese forget-me-nots a one-and-done plant? So they do, in fact, branch. But we once we harvest the initial stems, and I feel fairly certain it's our heat and humidity, just kind of shuts the plant down. You know, they just they start getting shorter and shorter. Heat really has that effect on a lot of cool flowers. You know, snapdragons, as the heat heats up, they get shorter and shorter. Well, that's what we see happen with Chinese forget-me-nots. And I mean, they are just the gems of the spring bouquets. I mean, they're just beautiful. So they are winter hardy to USDA zone six, by the way. Why are they worth growing? Oh my goodness. If you are listening to this on a podcast, you need to hop right on over to YouTube and see the pictures of these. They're these da- they look like little lily of the valleys in color. Um, they don't have any fragrance, but there's it's a lots of tiny little blooms and there's blue. And it's true blue um, and it's pale pink. And they are just a perfect, I mean, for bridal wedding work or just beautiful little sweet bouquets and nosegays. They are just, again, that their contribution makes them worthy. All right. And how many stems would you estimate each plant produces? Maybe two or three. And again, that's in our environment. That may not be the case somewhere else. Yep. And do you plant successions of this? No, we don't. We actually direct seed these um, in the fall. They actually survived our polar blast that just went through here in December of 2022. And um, but they need the maximum amount of time to mature and then to have time to elongate that stem before they bloom. So we just plant them once in the fall. All right. So one and done in Southeastern Virginia at your farm, but that may not be the case if you live somewhere with a cooler climate. Yes. All right. Moving along. This is actually one of my favorites out in the landscape. This is corn cockle, also known as agrostemma. And this, if you don't know what it looks like, it's these Mm. probably one to two inch wide blooms and they're so graceful they sway in the breeze and then on the inside of each flower there are these little markings inside the petals that almost look like someone has painted these little freckled lines it's just they are such a pretty flower they are winter hardy to usda zone seven so what makes agrostemma a one and done plant so 
I really don't think I've ever seen them throw up any branching. I mean, they, the initial plant that grows will have two or three stems um, in that initial growth. Um, and we literally cut them at ground level, right at ground level and pull them down through the support netting, which is definitely required if you want them to not go down in a rainstorm. Um, and I have never had them regrow. So why is agrostemma worth growing? There is no other flower that I have ever grown that caused such a commotion at the oh. farmer's market. So we, I grew one year, years and years ago, I um, planted, but it was my first year growing it. I grew an entire hundred foot bed. Do you know how much, I, that was a lot of agrostemma. So we <laughs> literally took multiple buckets to the Williamsburg farmer's market um, just to have for display. We didn't think we would ever sell it all. It's like, oh my gosh, we grew it. We cut it. It's not going to be, you know, it kind of comes on at one time. We're just going to take it. We have never had a flower cause such a stir. People that have never come into our booth stopped and said, what is that flower? It was so beautiful. And, you know, Lane, I really call this the spring Cosmo. It's got oh, that yeah. same floating wispy, light and airy, beautiful, dainty little bloom. Yeah, I think you're right. There's something very emotional about the response that agrostemma cause. Yeah. And I love just leaving them up in the landscape, not even for cutting. And in my experience, again, this may not be your experience, but the deer and rabbits have left them alone in my garden. So I just, uh -huh. I really, really love this one. Have you had any deer or rabbit issues with agrostemma? We have not lost them to deer and rabbits. And in fact, that yeah. first year that I grew them, that I grew that hundred foot bed, that was, gosh, that was a long time ago. It was on the outermost edge of our farm. That's when we were um, in high production. And that was the most vulnerable spot on our farm. And no, yeah. we experienced no loss. Yeah, that, that's been my experience as well. So if you have deer and rabbit issues, it's definitely worth a try. All right. So how many stems would you say each plant produces? I'd say probably three to four, maybe, um, you know, because when we clean cut it, I mean, literally, I take a handful of those growing right together down at ground level, cut them, strip them as best you can, um, because we had to make it a profitable crop. You can't spend, you know, half a day trying to strip the agrostemma, right? Um, and I would be willing to say probably anywhere from two to four stems per plant. All right. And then do you plant successions of this? No, um, I've never tried it. I'm not saying it wouldn't work. They are quite tall. Um, they get about 36 to 48 inches in our garden fall planted. So they might be, I mean, that's one of the gauges that I look at. Like Bells of Ireland, which is borderline, you know, you're lucky to get a 30 inch stem um, where 20 inches would be too short. These guys are so tall. It's like, all right, maybe they should be um, planted again in the spring. It'd be worth a try if it's good for your market. Yeah, that would definitely be worth experimenting with. Okay, so on to the next one. This is a favorite plant of both Lisa and I, and I actually have, if you're watching over on YouTube, both of our favorites up on the screen. So on the left, we have Tetra White, and on the right, we have Vegmo Single Feverfew. So feverfew is winter hardy to USDA zone five. Every single year, I always want to add more and more feverfew to the garden. I love this one. And I know Lisa does as well. 
It is so very, very true there. I mean, we grow them all on the farm. We grow, I think there's five or six different varieties that we offer and we offer them because I grow them all. And just the two that you have here on the slide, which I mean, the, the single, which is the daisy looking with the single petals around an orange center, it looks like a miniature Shasta daisy. Um, that is the most casual, the most we, I mean, we just love having that to add to mixed bouquets. And then the others, which are more white, and most of them are doubles, um, just, it's just the best ever. Yes, they are all so beautiful, such a great filler. And also my favorite thing to do, especially with the Tetra White, I will just put a huge bunch of just that in a vase. I love vases filled with just one type of flower. Me them. too, me too. Oh, you do? Okay, good. I didn't know that. Yeah, I think it's so, so pretty. So Lisa, what makes Feverfew a one and done plant? So yes, it is definitely one of my favorites. And it's, you know, all of my favorites are based on the best sellers. You know, they're always in demand, right? So what makes it one and done is that feverfew, even though we fall planted and it's a ferocious plant, it grows tall, it grows a lot of branches. The problem is they all tend to bloom pretty much at the same time. Um, so that makes them one and done. Yes. And I actually have been experimenting in our own garden, leaving feverfew plants in after they've already bloomed. And they do typically get a second flush, but I have noticed the second flush of blooms is a lot weaker. It's spottier. It's shorter. And yeah. especially if you're growing this for cut flower use, I definitely think you're better off planting successions rather than waiting for a second round of blooms. We we choose to replant, you know, succession plant instead of waiting. Um, and one of the things that I've done with Feverfew is trying to extend the bloom as much as possible. I have learned per, on each individual variety that I grow, how early can I cut it so that I can get started earlier to get more weeks use out of a cut. But um, yeah, once they bloom, that is pretty much it for them. We have found it's better to succession than it is to wait for that plant to regrow. So why is feverfew worth growing? It is perhaps one of the, the most in-demand fillers um, for both mixed bouquets, for wedding work. I learned from Jenny Love um, that she grows all the, I mean, that's when I started growing so many different fever fuchs because she shared that in doing weddings and events, I mean, you can just never have enough. And um, so she grew them all. And it's just a wonderful little flower to back up all your other beautiful flowers. The Feverfew, especially the Lane's favorite, Tetra White, is a little double bloom. It looks yes. like a little baby's breath on steroids. Oh. You know what I mean? And, yes. and that's such a popular wedding flower right now. So there is a high demand for all the Feverfews. I love Feverfew. Okay, so how many stems would you estimate each plant produces? Ours are robust um, and, and probably I would be willing to say three to six per plant easily. Yeah. And do you plant successions of these and how many do you do and how far apart do you plant them? Yes. So that's a really great question. So feverfew is one of those plants that I find just like straw flowers that you can succession plant 
beyond when you plant most cool flowers. They seem they get tall and robust enough, even when they're planted in those conditions. So we fall plant it. Then we very early spring plant them. And then we will plant them again and again about a month after that very early spring for a couple of more times. Because this plant is so robust and grows so tall, even if it only grows half as tall as the fall planted, it is still plenty tall enough for great cut flowers. And that way it extends the bloom time. And um, so you can experiment how far into the spring and summer you could plant it to still get a viable crop. Yeah. Experiment. And these are really valuable plant to just have in your landscape as well. Have you had any experience with deer or rabbits eating your fee for few? They tend, they're kind of stinky. Yeah. You know, not everybody appreciates the fragrance of fever few. Some, I mean, one stem in a bouquet is beautiful and doesn't overpower the room. Um, but it's that component of this flower that I think keeps the deer and rabbits away from them. Yeah, it definitely has fragrant foliage. Deer and rabbits have generally left these alone in our garden. We have had a couple of instances of nibbling, but I can tell it's definitely not one of their favorites. So I would still, I would still give it a shot. Yeah, that's for sure. Yeah. Okay. Next one. Ooh. Mm. So next we are going to be talking about a spike flower. We are talking about larkspur and this is winter hardy to USDA zone six. So what makes larkspur a one and done plant? As a cut flower farmer, it is a top crop for florist and event people. It's we call it the Southerners delphinium. Delphiniums typically don't aren't really um, don't thrive in the South. Larkspur is similar, has that it's a member of the same family, Um, but they are for us. They typically they're fall planted. Um, They winter over. And they, all of their blooms kind of come on. We'll probably have a two to three week window of harvesting larkspur. They don't send up, I mean, they send up a few little side shoots, um, but they, again, with the heat and humidity, just kind of shut them down. Yep. And you've kind of already mentioned this, but why is larkspur worth growing? I mean, it is just a high demand crop in the floral trade overall. And it's just beautiful bouquets. They're gorgeous. Talk about having one flower in a vase. I mean, a a big old handful of larkspur is quite beautiful and the colors are amazing. Um, So larkspur, I mean, you, I I can't imagine a spring cutting garden without larkspur. Yeah. And it's very stunning in the landscape. The blooms open on each spike from the bottom up. So if you're just leaving it in the landscape and not cutting it, you can just sit back and enjoy each bloom for as long as possible, just because you can wait for it to open all the way to the top if you're not planning on cutting it. Right. And you know, um, the other thing that I used to do with larkspur back before I started farming is larkspur reseeds typically if you're in zone six or south. And larkspur is absolutely gorgeous planted with your peony patch. I mean, they mm-hmm. kind of bloom, yes. it kind of goes together. And um, so that's another great thing about larkspur in the landscape is to rec- to learn to recognize the seedlings, the seedlings you would see the following fall, like you had planted it. Um, and it's just a beauty. Yep. We have had a lot reseed in our garden and I'm looking forward to seeing those bloom again this year. <laughs> great. So how many stems would you say each plant produces? 
Um, one great one and maybe two or three, not so great, but useful in bouquets probably. And then do you plant successions? No, one fall planting is what we do. All right, let's move on to the next. Ooh, so mm. we have up next Love in a Mist, which is also known as Nigella. And this is just as beautiful for its pods as it is for its flowers. This is winter hardy to USDA zone six. What makes Nigella a one and done plant? Well, for there's several things that I would say that you just don't get from other flowers readily. First off, Nigella comes in blue, light blue, dark blue, medium blue. And who doesn't need a blue flower? Blue just makes your bouquets and your flowers pop, right? Um, and if you have more, and it also comes in white with a green center, which is another super useful fresh flower. But if you don't cut them on time, they quickly develop into these amazing seed pods. Some of them solid green, some of them burgundy, some of them striped. So it has a long window of opportunity and um, it's a good one. Yeah. And why do you consider it one and done versus cut and come again? Yeah, we really don't get but one nice central stem from it. I mean, it'll have some branches on that stem, but there aren't multiple good quality stems. Yeah. All right. So that kind of answers the question, how many stems does each plant produce? Yeah. So do you plant successions? I do not. Um, we direct seed it in the fall. And so um, I have never done it and they aren't super tall. They get plenty tall for a cut, but they are on the shorter end of the, the measuring stick. So I don't know that we could get enough stem length. Yeah. Nigella is really worth growing in the landscape as well. It has a ferny sort of foliage yeah. and it's just so beautiful. Once it starts putting those pods on, I will often just leave the plants up and enjoy those pods for as long as I can and even let it seed itself in the garden. They are so, so pretty. All right. So next we have soapwort, which is also known as saponaria. And this is another one that has these sprays of small, delicate flowers. It's winter hardy to USDA zone seven. What makes soapwort a one and done plant? It also um, doesn't send up a did once we cut the initial stems, they just don't send up any more usable stems. They may send up some shorties. Um, but yeah, once we do the initial cut, they are pretty much over with. All right. So why is soapwort worth growing? Oh my goodness. It is another, it's I would put the soapwort um or saponaria in the agrostema category. Yes. They are so light and airy. They again, kind of look like baby's breath. I mean, that whole, it's got lots of little blooms. So it just really, really fills up. And it's another one that can be really beautiful all by itself in a vase. Oh, I definitely agree with that. It has kind of an ethereal, airy, delicate. It's so pretty look to yeah. it. And okay. it comes in pink and white, which is so in demand in spring, right? Yes. Yes. So how many stems would you say each plant produces? Two to three at the most. All right. And do you plant any successions of this? I have not. We direct seed it in the fall and um, have never gone beyond that. Okay. Let's move on to the last flower. And this is a true 
one and done because it only has one usable stem. So that is stock and stock yeah. is winter hardy to USDA zone eight. So I kind of just answered this, but what makes stock a one and done plant? So there is just one usable stem that grows from a plant. There are, as to confuse people, there are some varieties of stock that say pinch them, but they're not talking about pinching for multiple stems. They, you pinch it high up in, in the head area and it makes it have more branching within that one single head. Quartet is that variety. Um, I don't know of any others. I'm sure there's probably some, but yeah, you wouldn't pinch it and it's one and done and we pack them into beds. All right. So why is stock worth growing? It is a fragrant, beautiful, it's like a snapdragon with more blooms up the stem and it comes in an amazing um, array of colors and it's got a sweet, what would, how do you describe the smell of stock? Maybe sweet and spicy. Yeah, it's cloves or, I mean, it's a really good smell and it's a, it's really, especially in spring when you're just so hungry for flowers. So it's beautiful, great colors, and it's a great fragrance. Yep. All good reasons to grow it. Yeah. All right. So we've already covered that it only produces one stem per plant. So do you plant successions of stock and how many and how far apart? So yes, you can surely any single stem flower has great potential to be a succession. And for us, um, so for stock, the other thing that's a problem with stock or a problem with stock is it's very sensitive to heat. So we plant it in very early spring. It's not winter hardy for us here. We plant it in the mid of February. And I might be willing to plant maybe two, maybe three more plantings a week apart after that planting. But beyond that, it just gets too hot and that makes them just not grow tall, which is a real problem. Um, and so a week apart, because it is every week, um, and but you have to really have cool conditions for them to grow up in. Yep. And again, another great opportunity. If you have a cooler climate, you may be able to plant yeah. beyond what Lisa just described. So go ahead and experiment with that and see what results you get. Yes. And we, because it is a single stem, we grow in 30 inch wide beds. We would put eight rows of stock and in the rows six inches apart, the same that we do for some other single stems like um, um, spring green coxcomb. So yeah, pack them in. And so they don't take up much space. You know, I mean, you could grow a lot in a small space. Yes. All right. Well, that was our episode for today. So I hope that helped you all. And I hope you enjoyed that. We will do a future episode on cut and come again, cool flowers, which I know a lot of people are looking forward to as well. So thank you so much for joining us. Make sure to subscribe wherever you're listening to this and give us a like or comment if you're on YouTube or a rating or review if you're listening in a podcast app. Thank you so much, Lane, for putting together that great slideshow. And I look forward to our next episode. And friends, if you want to learn more about the Gardener's Workshop and the work that we're doing, head on over to thegardenersworkshop.com. Ciao. Bye.